Welcome to Clarity Connects, where we talk about the human essence in brands, from branding, marketing, and business. I am your host, Tusef Mirza. Fundamentally, brands are created by human beings and for human beings. So understanding human attributes and having clarity on what genuinely connects with people is crucial. On this podcast, we will cover topics ranging from personal branding, corporate branding, leadership, team building, and marketing, all from a human perspective. We will also give ourselves the space for contemplation and explore ways to gain profitability while doing good simultaneously. Thank you for joining me. And now let's explore how Clarity connects for creating true impact. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Clarity Connects podcast. Today, we are talking about purpose-led organizations, which have gained a lot of steam in 2020. And we will look at purpose from a business, social justice, and customer perspective with my special guest, Margot Bradenberg. Margot is a senior program officer at the Ford Foundation. She works at the intersection of philanthropy, capital markets, and social justice. And she is the co-author of the book, The Power of Impact Investing. Welcome to the show, Margot. Thanks, Tusef. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, so as we talk more and more about purpose in business and marketing, I thought that it was really important to talk with someone like you, Margot, with expertise and experience in philanthropy and commerce. And just so that everybody's on the same page, I wanted to set the stage a little bit in terms of where we are at. So traditionally, the business-customer relationship has been based on an exchange of money for a good quality product or a good quality service that a customer finds valuable. That's basically what the business-customer relationship has been for a very long time. But in 2020, that type of exchange is not enough anymore. With many social movements that have been happening for the past few years and that have culminated in 2020, such as the Me Too movement, the outpouring of civic unrest for the Black Lives Matter movement, and obviously the pandemic also, it has forced customers to recognize their own values and question what is really meaningful for them. And so now customers, for them, it's not enough anymore to just have a good product or a good service. They actually want companies and brands to care. A lot of research is backing up this reality, one of the research says that seven out of 10 customers and stakeholders believe it's no longer acceptable for companies to just make money. They actually expect corporations to also positively impact society. So this demand in market shift is a really big game changer and has a tremendous effect on businesses and what their role is in society. And for my marketing and branding experts listening, I think it's important for us to understand the implications that businesses are going through right now. Um, and it's really once we understand more from a holistic approach that we will be able to basically do our work much better from a creative and strategy standpoint. So Margot, um, we're now talking about, like I just mentioned, more about purpose 
in the mainstream, but organizations such as the Ford Foundation has been involved in addressing this area for over 80 years. Can you share a little bit of what the Ford Foundation does? Sure, thank you. Um, well, the Ford Foundation is based in New York City. We have 10 offices around the world, and we are the second la largest foundation in the United States after the Gates Foundation, and we're the largest social justice foundation. Our mission is to address the root systems of inequality in all its forms. So important for us are issues of racial and gender justice, human rights, uh, workers and workers' rights, um, climate change and the environment, civic engagement, and uh, creativity and freedom of expression. Since you have been working in the world of social enterprise for many years now, um, can you give us a little bit about your impression in terms of what you're seeing in, in 2020 and how companies and leaders are handling inequality? Have you seen a change? Sure. Um, well, I got into this um, through the lens of what's called impact investing. So that's maybe a subset of this broader universe of purpose-led companies. Um, and it's investments into companies or funds or projects that very intentionally deliver a positive social impact, as well as some kind of a financial return. So examples would include microfinance institutions that are making small business loans, let's say to women and other people that are typically excluded from the formal banking sector. Could be a solar company that's trying to you know, make progress toward a net zero emissions world. It it's, tends to be sectors like that. And if you look at just that universe of, again, what I'll call impact investments, that's grown steadily for the past decade. And there's a trade association called the Global Impact Investing Network, which estimates that that market is currently $715 billion. So it's a big market and that's global. So Ford continues to support this dedicated impact investing space, but has over the past few years increased our focus on the whole of the economy and, and the goal of moving us towards a more inclusive form of capitalism. And the good news is that I think, you know, we are um, being led by and hopefully leading a generation of consumers, of investors, of workers, of suppliers who really believe that the purpose of a company is to serve all of its stakeholders, not just its shareholders. Mm hmm so would you say that this year you've seen, even from an impact investor standpoint, have you seen a, an increase or a greater interest because of all of the different uprisings we've been seeing? Yes, absolutely. I'll say a few things. Even before the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, so let's say March to May of this year, um, investors, policymakers, uh, corporate executives, consumers were starting to focus much more on the social impact of companies. And so often you'll hear referred to something called ESG, environmental, social, and governance factors. And for a long time, the E was very front and center for investors, for consumers. We talked a lot about sustainability and organic and carbon footprint. And the S part of ESG was a bit of an afterthought. It was just less developed in terms of the standards and certifications that are out there. Um, 
fast forward to March 2020, and all of a sudden issues like paid leave for workers and you know basic protections for customers and all of these S factors became really prominent uh, in the minds of, again, investors, consumers, workers, policymakers. And so I think that has, yeah, just really increased the that kind of lens on, on the capital markets. Of course, you know, a couple of months later, we saw a mass set of uprisings around the country um, in the wake of, of George Floyd's death. And that has specifically increased scrutiny of what companies are or are not doing to advance racial equity. So absolutely, you're seeing conversations take place that I I don't think would have been possible. And I don't think anyone imagined would have been possible, you know, nine months ago. And do you feel the, the conversations that are more in quantity and also more in depth, are they also getting translated into action or that's still, you think, coming more as we move forward? I think that's the challenge and the opportunity of our time. Um, You know, a lot of companies were quick to issue statements in support of Black Lives Matter and to, you know, use the hashtags and to lean into their social media feeds to deliver that message. And that's great. But as we start to look under the hood at the composition of their boards, or their wage practices, or, you know, for a tech company, the algorithm that drives who they market to and on what terms, you pretty quickly uncover a lot of facets of operations that may or may not advance any kind of a racial equity focus, right? 160 companies, give or take, in the S&P 500 don't have a single African-American director, and some of those companies are the same ones that rushed out a statement and some very, you know, clever, beautiful advertising messages in support of Black Lives Matter. And if it stays like that, I think consumers and others will quickly become disillusioned, right? And will hold those companies to task. If that message can lead across operations and the more meaningful opportunities that these companies have to advance racial equity, I think this will have been a huge step forward for the economy. I mean, I think it's true. Some of them are just putting messages out. But I think the customer now is being much more sophisticated in understanding what's really going on. Like they understand the facade. And because of the tool that we have of social media, they can voice it. And so then you have boycotts and so forth. So I think the companies now, you know, if they can't walk the walk anymore, they are going to be called out pretty much directly, which is a good thing because, you know, what's the point of just saying something if you're not going to do it? Um, I was happy to see, for example, that Jason Wright, he is the first black president of an NFL team, the Washington team. And meanwhile, you have 70% of the NFL players that are black. And it's amazing to me that, you know, we're in 2020 and it's the first time this is happening, but I guess it's the spark, right? At least it's the spark. And hopefully that we will continue to gain momentum. There's obviously so much work to be done, but we're going in that direction now. And I think it's really exciting. I mean, I will tell you on a personal note, my early voting place is the Barclays Center here in Brooklyn, and that would not be possible were it not for LeBron James and other NBA players 
who made demands on owners and on venues to meaningfully advance the rights of Black Americans. And they rightly diagnosed that voting and free and fair voting was was incredibly important. And so as a result, like many of us have have them to thank in terms of you know, mitigating voter suppression and the types of eight and 10 hour lines that you see in places like Georgia. So I do think there's some really exciting examples. And if we, if we rest on our laurels, though, you know, it's, it's likely to peter out. I think it requires constant pressure because there's still a a long way to go. Right. So we, we talked about a couple of terms here um, that are related to philanthropy, such as impact investing. I was talking about purpose. The way that I define purpose is that it's an organization's truthful role and value in society to grow its business while doing good simultaneously. But we also have other terms such as CSR, corporate social responsibility, and corporate philanthropy. There are all these terms. Do you feel that there is a foundational element that brings them all together? Or do you find certain areas are distinct in their own? It's a good question. There is an alphabet soup of terms, and often they're used interchangeably. So we need to fundamentally change the paradigm that says the purpose of a company is only to serve its shareholders, only to serve the people that own stock. That fundamentally, the purpose of a company needs to be to serve shareholders and other stakeholders. And by stakeholders, they usually mean workers, customers, your supply chain, the communities where you live and, and work. And so that tends to get discussed as stakeholder capitalism, right? And there's even over the long term, potentially a different decisions that a company would make if it perceived itself to be responsible to all of its stakeholders. What you're saying is before the the sole purpose was for the company, for the shareholders, but now because it's so many different stakeholders, like the customer, like the employees, like the community, now you have to have a different objective in terms of how you're going to run the business, right? Yes. And a lot of people will tell you that those things are a win-win, right? If you treat your your employees fairly and you compensate them fairly, uh, that that's going to over time serve the shareholders well. And I think in many cases that's true, Um, whether it's true in all cases or whether there are some things that are just the right thing to do, even if they come at some expense to profitability over time you know, that's going a bridge further. And that's where we get into territory of really different norms, frankly, about what the role of a company is, different regulatory and policy environments that govern what the responsibility is of corporate and investment fund directors. So there's, I would say, a continuum of how radical this is, ranging from, you know, obvious win-wins that everyone can and should be doing now through to more radical sort of imagination about what uh, the role of capitalism is in in a society. Um, And I, you know, I think there's room for all of it. I think it's an interesting time where we're asking ourselves these questions very openly, where before, you know, people didn't ask that. They just said, well, it is what it is and we're just going to go along with it. So I love this sort of sense of opening that we have to have these conversations and discuss what is what is capitalism at the end of the day? And if it's really of use right now? It's a really interesting time. You know, in social justice philanthropy and, and among a lot of activists, 
the kind of what's called theory of change or the theory of how you make change in the world usually involves government and making an appeal to government to change, again, policy and regulation. And to be clear, I think policy plays a critical role, but, you know, gradually over time, and then particularly in 2016, a lot of us woke up in a world where we no longer had any realistic expectation that government was likely to act in our best interests. And so all of a sudden, the role of the private sector becomes even more critical. And I'll give you an example. I was camping with my kids this summer in Wyoming, where there's no state mask mandate. And so everyone is free to go about their business inside tiny restaurants and wherever you want. And we ended up only stopping for food at McDonald's and other large corporate franchises because they had instituted a mask requirement. We were relying on McDonald's to take a leadership <laughs> step in service of public health. Now, I will say normally we would have avoided McDonald's, right? Because we'd much prefer to support mom and pop businesses. Right. And it just, it didn't play out like that this summer. But it was one of those moments where, particularly for a progressive person who really deeply believes in the central role of government, you were sort of like, huh, I, I guess I'm going to depend on this large company to keep me safe for government is clearly not stepping up to the plate. And, you know, it was a small example, but I think it's emblematic of where a lot of us are, have found ourselves, particularly these past four years. Now, I'm hoping that will change and that we can start expecting more leadership from government at all levels. Um, but even if that's true, I still think, you know, the private sector is going to wield an important influence in, in our daily lives. So there was um, this research paper that came through this year that the Ford Foundation was also involved in called the Test of Corporate Purpose, or TCP. And it was focused mainly on COVID-19 and inequality. Um, and it was interesting because this year, 2020, like we were talking about, it's a unique moment in time where basically businesses, if they said that they actually care about their customers and their employees, they actually had to to show what they were going to do in a crisis. And it was sort of like really showing a stress test of of how they're going to react in this situation. You can you can talk about that you care till the cows come home, but when it's actually needed, then you have to actually perform. Um, so do you feel that a lot of them did show up or were surprised that they had to show up in a way um, that they didn't realize they had to do so quickly? That's a great question. Um, we did fund this project, which issued a large report called the Test of Corporate Purpose, and it's available to anyone who wants it on the internet. And it, it did look at this question of how large companies have performed uh, in light of both COVID and in inequality by its stakeholders in 2020. And there were some interesting conclusions that, that came out of the project. Um, you know, one is that uh, there were 181 companies of the 800 surveyed who had signed something last year by an organization called the Business Roundtable, which is you know, kind of an industry association for large companies. And the Business Roundtable had these 181 companies sign um, something about the statement, a statement of corporate purpose, and really, um, you know, articulating that that a company's purpose is to serve all of its stakeholders in, in the way that we were just talking about. And that was the first time that that shift happened. 
Right. And so I think that that BRT statement was very much a reflection of, of these consumer trends and, and other trends that have been building for years. And at the time, it was, you know, signed in August 2019. No one could have predicted what a massive litmus test there would be six months later. <laughs> it's like, great, if you care about all your stakeholders, good news. Here's your opportunity to do right by them. The report TCP that 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 we supported found that these signatories were not more likely to uh, create stakeholder value than any other large company. It, it didn't find that they were worse either, um, but it did not find, you know, nine months after these companies signed this statement that they were actually doing anything better. So I think there's, you know, interesting questions to ask about that, right? Is it just that it takes a long time to implement these kind of changes that would benefit your stakeholders? Is it that companies see the marketing value in in claiming corporate purpose, but aren't actually prepared to put teeth in it or, you know, put meat on the bones? Um, It's, it's, you know, you could speculate and, and dig deeper to try and get answers. Um, But the report found some other interesting findings. One is that companies who had a long history of corporate purpose did better in 2020 in in an era of COVID and a really heightened um, emphasis on inequality. So I think that goes to this idea that, you know, you really need to work over time to incorporate this into the DNA of a company and that it's very difficult, perhaps impossible to just flip a switch and suddenly expect you know, all of your divisions and all of your operations to suddenly start seeing themselves as in service of, you know, a broad set of stakeholders and to really reorient away from that idea of the quarterly earnings report as being the North Star that everyone's going to be judged by. That's so true that it's one thing to have a purpose statement and you can say that this is what we vouch for, but to translate that sometimes requires risk, but it also requires creativity, and it requires a way that makes sense for it to be operationalized. And because stakeholders is not one entity, it's many entities, you have to figure out how does it work all together from a comprehensive level. So it is a difficult thing, but it doesn't mean it can't be done. But again, I think it's what's interesting this year, it's it's probably forced a lot of big companies to have this, this conversation in a more concrete way than, than in the past. I think that's right. It is difficult. And, you know, we we know some concrete steps a company can take to put this into practice. So uh, the board of a company can form a committee that oversees its purpose, right? Uh, the the C-suite or the executives of the company, their comp can be determined by a mix of financial performance and, you know, the purpose uh, attributes or or that dimensions that they've established for themselves, right? So you're translating what you say is the purpose of the company into, you know, the the methodology or the methods by which the, the CEO and others are compensated. You'll hear a company criticized for, for losing money or for, you know, underperforming its earnings expectations. You don't hear it talked about nearly as often in terms of its great progress toward, you know, its net zero target in 2030. Like we just, when we talk about companies and how they're performing, it's so easy to revert to their profitability. Um, And those systems, I think, and those basic kind of norms need to evolve for companies to be able to make this meaningful progress because otherwise even the most courageous CEO is going to face really strong headwinds. 
So the good news about about this is that they do have the backup of the customer, the market. So one of the research findings that came out of the TCP report was that 92% felt that the purpose of a business is to create value for all stakeholders rather than increase profit alone. But only 13% of those respondents felt that company communication and action to meet those stakeholders that they, that they weren't met. So even if the demand from customers is to see companies be involved further than just profit, they're not seeing it. So there's a huge gap there that businesses can tap into. And frankly, it's a differentiating factor. If only 13% are showing up for like that, there's a huge margin in which businesses can show that they genuinely care. Absolutely. And I think, you know, an example of that is the real rise of this uh, B Corp movement that we've seen over the past 10 years, right? B Corps are a type of company that changes its basic articles of incorporation to be responsible to stakeholders, not only shareholders, um, but also subjects itself to a pretty comprehensive impact uh, measurement system and must meet a certain threshold for performance before getting a B Corp certification, right? And and B Corps have really exploded over the past 10 years, and they include, you know, bigger brands like Patagonia, uh, smaller companies. But I was, you know, talking to that team when, when COVID first hit, and they were wondering if companies would stop wanting to pay their certification fees, right? Because of course, a company has to pay something to get the certification. It's not, it's not cheap to comb through a, a company's operations and to figure out, you know, if they're actually impacting their stakeholders in a, in a positive way. And I think they've seen, to the contrary, a, a sustained interest and maybe even a growth in interest. And it's a reflection of, as you say, consumers and workers and suppliers. It's it's not only the end consumer. And the new generation, Gen Z. Yep. Um, you know, both really caring about this and then caring about the integrity of the marketing materials and that that those claims need to be authentic and need to be backed up by by practice. So if if there's a a company that wants to really take on um, a cause that that really wants to be purpose driven, is there certain things that you would recommend that you think that has worked well if they wanted to start the first few steps in going in that direction? Well, I think you know creating a clear statement of corporate purpose is something that that um, TCP report talks about. And, you know, the purpose should be specific enough to be meaningful, um, but be capacious enough to really include, you know, a broad range of operational decisions. Um, Again, I think, you know, engaging your board is really important. That group of companies that that we mentioned that had signed this um, business roundtable statement last year, apparently only one out of the 181 had consulted their board. Wow. And so if you're shifting, you know, the purpose of a company, but you're not even notifying the people whose job it is to, to manage and oversee the operations of that company, it's a little hard to imagine that, you know, meaningful change is going to take place. So I think engaging the board is really important. Um, we've already talked about, you know, the way that that executive leadership is compensated and actually rewarding CEOs for some of the choices that we want them to make. 
So there's a lot of concrete things that companies can do, um, but none of them none of them are easy. So the the will really has to be there. I think that's really important to be able to to talk about purpose across different levels in a very open way and not in a siloed way where usually you're just going to be talking to the person, you know, that that sees eye to eye to you and you stop there, but to really make it more broad and, and having these uncomfortable conversations, because if you're, if you're realizing that you want to have a, um, a better racial equity system, for example, in, in the workplace, then obviously you're going to start realizing, well, we haven't been doing our job really well. So it, it, it takes a certain level of honesty and vulnerability to talk about those things, which is difficult because I think we feel that business is really more of a transactional space and it's more a place where we just talk about numbers. But the moment that you talk about purpose, you talk about meaning. The moment you talk about meaning, you can talk about emotion. And that is an area that can be very uncomfortable for people. Yeah, I think, you know, you raised racial equity as, as a lens that companies are increasingly being viewed through, and it's long overdue, and I, I hope it sustains itself. Um, but, you know, we know that some companies do an okay job recruiting a diverse uh, set of employees and, and really don't excel at retaining and promoting those employees. And so to your point, you know, even the most visionary committed CEO can't wave a wand and suddenly make a large workplace into an inclusive workplace where, you know, BIPOC employees can thrive and feel safe and feel valued and progress to the company, right? That's a company-wide culture shift that that needs to be built carefully. And it there's no, you know, shortcut that I can think of to doing that. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I wanted to uh, switch up for a second and and talk about also that there are a lot of experts that that also criticize philanthropy from big corporations. And one of the most outspoken ones is the author and political analyst Anand Giridardas, um, who wrote the book a Winners Take All. And if I can sum kind of like two of his main principles for his thesis of saying that, I think number one is that billionaire uh, CEOs are doing philanthropy more from a perspective to gain positive perception, while most of the time they are also the cause of many problems that we see in the world, and also that the CEOs are really focused at the end of the day of maximizing profits. And there's another facet that he talks about, which is that the handling of inequalities um, should not be the responsibility of corporations, but instead should be governed by um, public institutions and, um, and the government. So I've been thinking a lot about that. I think obviously Anand raises a lot of really good, valuable points, and I do agree totally agree with him that it shouldn't be the sole responsibility of the corporations to bring social change. I think also at the same time, there is this shift that is happening because of the customer. And I always go back to that because I think that's the biggest shift that we are seeing in the mindset of the customer and what they want. And customers, they do not want to wait for policymakers to hold companies accountable for 
you know, whether doing right or wrong, because usually government takes a long time to make these decisions. The customers want to have change now. So that's one thing. And the second thing is they actually really want to support and buy products and services from companies who are advocating and and showing their actions towards a specific cause that they find valuable. Yes, we understand what the role of business is and isn't, but at the same time, you have the pull on the other side, which is the customer want this. And so the businesses want to position themselves in accordance. It's a lot of different complex concepts to consider to understand which is the best way to move forward. I mean, I, I thought that Anand's book was a great contribution to the to the field and to our thinking. And he makes a lot of really important points. I think he chooses not to recognize some of the nuances that exist. And, you know, that's not frankly his role. His role is to create space for this kind of critical conversation. We do have a fast growing philanthropic sector, a very um, vibrant set of sort of purpose-driven corporate activity, uh, and whether that is ultimately in service of the goals that Anand and others have, or whether it undermines it, right, which is, I think, one of his biggest concerns that all of this kind of distracts from some of the really destructive work that we see happening, you know, in parts of the corporate sector, um, and among extremely wealthy individuals. How can we make sure that it's, you know, in service of and not uh, in you know, in service against. And so there's something um, like highlighting the political spending of companies. So there's an organization called the Center for Political Accountability. They rank companies based on how transparent they are about their political donations. And so if as a company, you are, you know, encouraging volunteerism related to um, literacy in schools, particularly schools that are underfunded, um, but you're simultaneously funding campaigns of politicians that consistently vote to reduce school funding. <laughs> I think Anand's thesis is proven out in that example, right? Like, right. no, actually, uh, you don't get let off the hook just because you're choosing to take a small portion of your money and and put a Band-Aid on a problem that is ultimately the role of government to address. Um, and so we want to see how you're spending, you know, corporate political dollars and whether those spending decisions are consistent with uh, the marketing materials that you put out and the purpose that you, you know, profess to have. So I think we can take a lot of the points that he, that he makes really compellingly and figure out, you know, how to apply them in practice to, to arrive at a more nuanced understanding of, of the relationship between all these different, you know, complex entities in the public sector, the private sector and civil society. Also, if if the companies are really coming from a genuine place of wanting to change, coming from a place of conviction uh, and that it's that it matters, I think that's where you can have the proper shifts that can be happening. Um, one question I'm wondering, you know, when we talk about stakeholders, there's so many different groups that can come under stakeholders, right? And all of them have different not specifically different needs, but they, they are coming at it from different angles of what they need from a company. So when a company is positioning themselves to um, meet 
stakeholder needs. Um, do you feel that there are certain groups that they should emphasize more? It's a great question. Uh, and I think there's always going to be an element of subjectivity to this. I will say I was um, listening somewhat counterintuitively to a presentation um, by Philip Morris International, the tobacco company. Mm. And they're a really interesting example of corporate purpose because they have really made their purpose to be a tobacco-free world. And they are leaning really heavily on tobacco alternatives, um, including e-cigarettes. And so there's no small amount of controversy and, and nuance and science that are wrapped up in some of those decisions. And I'm not a scientist, so and I, I'm not a doctor. I, I have a limited basis to opine. But um, they really use this idea of materiality when they decided which of their stakeholders to focus on. And they decided that their footprint on the world was really through their end product. So in the case of their tobacco and the lung cancer and other health issues that we know arise from tobacco um, smoking. And so they've really focused on product innovation to be able to migrate their customers into safer products. Now you can also come along and say, well, what about tobacco farmers, right? There's a lot of agricultural workers who depend on, on tobacco crops, right? And so what about them? And what I heard the CEO of Philip Morris say is they're also a stakeholder and they're important to us. We've decided based on what we believe to be the way we show up in the world that we really need to start with the customer, right? And to fundamentally migrate our product to one that is healthier and less risky for our customers. And we also care about the farmers, but you know we have to prioritize. And so this is where we're starting. And again, I'm not a public health person, so I can't even opine on some of the fundamental decisions they're making. But I thought they had a like a smart way to at least think about how they needed to prioritize. And these are huge shifts the business is trying to make, right? This isn't like tweaking at the margins. And so to be really clear-eyed about what it was going to take to make such a radical shift in their product mix and their consumer base. Um, and so they made at least a good case that they were focused on the right stakeholder in that instance. Now, I, I love that example in terms of how they, they approached it in terms of priority, because by them making that decision, they're actually shifting the focus away with just pure shareholder. And I think that's what we need to see is maybe you're not addressing all of the, sh uh, the stakeholders, but at least you're picking one because like we talked about, it's very difficult to, to look at all of the different groups um, and address them individually, but at least then you're actually in alignment with the conviction of focusing on stakeholder versus just shareholder. So as we conclude the show, um, I always ask this one last question to all of my guests. Since it's the Clarity Connects podcast, I would like to ask you if you've had a clarity moment uh, that you would like to share with our listeners. It can be from a professional perspective, a personal perspective. It can be related about what we talked about or not, um, but anything that you would like to share. I will be honest and admit that moments of clarity in 2020 have been few and far between for me personally. It's felt like a bit of a, a daily race to survive. But I think, you know, one of the greatest moments of clarity I've had are, are mostly in my personal life. And it's as a, a mother of young kids who works full time and Literally March 6th was the last day that our caregiver uh, was able to get to work safely. Um, 
and, you know, probably the last day that we sent our kids to school. And all of a sudden we woke up on Monday and we're in this whole new world where my husband and I were continuing to try and work full-time on Zoom and somehow figure out how to educate a three and a six-year-old. And the clarity that came from that was just this really deep appreciation for the role of caregivers and teachers and all the other people who work in schools and who who spend their their lives really caring for and educating our kids. And it's not that I was unappreciative before, but I think the clarity came from the depth of the understanding and appreciation that I had that had been more of a intellectual appreciation previously. So that's really stuck with me. Um, and as we, you know, try to connect it back to what we've been talking about, I think this hope that we come through the crises of 2020 with a fundamentally different understanding of what matters and who matters. Um, and then we all matter. <laughs> uh, and, and it's tied up with this, you know, this understanding that low wage workers are actually essential workers and, you know, a, a, just a, a really deep appreciation for, for the people who often are undercompensated and underappreciated that, that, you know, allow our society to function and thrive. So personal moment of clarity for me, something that I hope, you know, we can all kind of carry with us uh, into the future. I, I love that. I, and I completely agree. I think this, this year has forced us to like stop in our tracks and, and almost really see each other more deeply as, as human beings um, and, and recognize each of our humanity in a more profound way than just doing the regular rigmarole nonstop. So our humanity, our vulnerability. Yeah. No, it's it's been a moment of of reckoning, I think, for us individually and collectively. I'm hopeful that the good will stick. Yes, it, it must. It will. There's no other way. Thank you so much, Margot, for spending this time with us um, and talking about all these complicated, interesting, hopeful ways to moving forward. And um Thank you all to the listeners as well for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you to Seth. À bientôt.